That chat is brought to you by Walters. Monday through Friday, Walters opens at noon for lunch, midday baseball watching, and even the occasional European soccer match. So if you find yourself around the ballpark during the day, make sure you walk on over to Walters. Walters is also the perfect place to watch football with friends, whether it be Monday, Thursday, or the weekend. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Breeze comes in six for his last 14, the last three games. 13 out of his last 25 over the last six. He's hit in five of them and drives one to deep right. Back goes the right fielder Castellanos at the wall. He leaps and is gone. Goodbye. A home run for Kbert Ruiz. His first in a Nationals uniform. His second in the big leagues. Check on the runner at second. The 1-1. Swinging a shot up the middle. Past the diving Garcia, the second baseman, into left center for a hit. Headed home is Friedel. Over to third is Aquino. And Nick Castellanos with an RBI single. Extends the Reds' lead to 7-4. The kick in the 2-2 pitch. Swing and a slow ground ball. Will go through into center field. A base hit. One run is scored. Here comes the other man of the plate. The throw is offline. Sliding in safely is Soto with the tying run. On a slow ground ball that gets through the shift into left center field for a base hit for Luis Garcia. Driving in two runs. And the Nationals have come back here in the top of the ninth inning to tie the game. Pitch delivered, swing and a shot. Too hot to be handled by Garcia off his glove and out into center field. Runner around third, Frito coming to the plate. The throw by Soto's too late and the game is over. Just like that. And welcome to Nats Chat for Saturday, September 25th, 2021, along with Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. We're coming to you right around 12.30 a.m. on Saturday off a marathon Nationals game on Friday night, a four-hour, 24-minute extravaganza, but another extra innings loss for the Nationals in the 2021 season. 8-7, 11-inning loss at the Cincinnati Reds in Game 2 of a four-game series. I know that the Nats haven't been very good this season, period, and this loss was, in fact, the Nationals' 90th loss of the season, 64-90 is now the mark. But the Nats also have the worst extra innings record in the majors this season at 2-11. and And, you know, I think that could be reflective of a lot of things. It may not be indicative of anything. Extra inning results can be flukish, especially with this extra innings rule. But man, Mark, these extra inning games, they don't seem to go well for this ball club this season. No. And I mean, honestly, the thing that's striking to me, especially when they're on the road, they can't even advance that runner past second base. 
the rules now are giving you a runner in scoring position to start the inning. And the Nats lineup, which, like, let's point out, really has been good. They've scored the most runs in the National League since August 15th. So offense has not been a problem except when they get into that situation in extras. And I don't know why it's the case. There's some question of strategy here that Davey Martinez, when they're on the road, doesn't like to play for the one run. He thinks you need to play for a bigger inning, knowing that the other team, the home team, just needs to get that one runner home. So they haven't been bunting. They haven't been playing small ball, but it hasn't worked. And at some point you say, why not just get the one runner home and hope for the best? For whatever reason, they get into these spots and these are not good at bats. They are not even coming close to getting that runner home, not even advancing him to third base. Yeah, you had more of that take place on Friday night. But you also had this game going into extra innings when the game had no business going into extra innings. And I say that in both a bad and a good way for the Nationals. The bad way would be the Nationals blew a 4 nothing third inning lead in this game. And while no Paolo Espino wasn't at his secret weapon best, you also had another really rough game for the bullpen, including the likes of Alberto Baldonado and uh, Andres Machado having issues in this game. Uh, also, Patrick Murphy. Nats gave up four runs over the sixth and seventh innings of this game. But you also had in this game an outstanding two-out rally in the top of the ninth inning. We joke about the boys battling. This was actually one of the better instances this season of the boys battling, Nationals are down to their last out, down to their last strike, and put together one of the more inexplicable two-out rallies the Nats have had this season. It comes off a reliever in Michael Givens, who, look, he's bounced around. He was with the Orioles for a while, was with the Rockies for a while, but he's actually pretty good. He's having a pretty good season, and the Nats got to him, and then the hero of the inning ends up being Luis Garcia, who had not had a good series so far, He comes up there and he delivers a two-out game-tying, two-run single to knock the game at seven and complete one of the more improbable comebacks for the Nationals in a game this year. It was impressive. I mean, top to bottom, it all happened with two outs. First two hitters of the inning make outs. Now you get back-to-back doubles from Thomas and Escobar, who just continues to come through in these spots. It is remarkable what he is doing for them. I I still don't have it figured out how he's doing it, but he is coming through in all those spots. And now you leave the Reds in a spot with Soto up to bat and a runner on second. So they're going to pitch around him. And the, you know it wasn't an intentional walk, but it was essentially an intentional walk. They weren't going to let him beat them. So he walks. And now Josh Bell draws the walk as well. And I, I'm sure in the back of their minds, they're saying, we're not going to mess around with those two guys. We're going to take our chances with the 21-year-old who's now batting fifth behind them because Yadiel Hernandez is away from the team while his wife has a baby. And to be honest, the last couple of nights, Garcia hadn't looked great in these spots. A little jumpy, maybe trying a little too hard in these big clutch spots. Well, I'll tell you what, he came through in a big way this time with two strikes, a very good calm, hit the ball the other way at bat, and he ties the game. And that was, he's had some good at bats since he's been in the big leagues. That might've been the best one under the circumstances and the way that he delivered that one. I was really impressed with that one. Yeah, it's really tricky with how Luis Garcia has done as the Nats number five batter over the first two games of this series, because with the exception of that one plate appearance, things have not gone well. The game on Thursday night, the 3-2 win, Garcia 0 for 4 with a strikeout, left six men on base. Even in this game on Friday night, Garcia finishes one for six, leaves five men on base, but the one is a big one, like one of the more impressive plate appearances of the year, the two-out game tying, two-run opposite field single to left field to tie the game 
at seven. Number of other key plate appearances in that inning as well. You mentioned Alcides Escobar getting the job done again. That two-out ribby double to left field on a one-two pitch to cut the Nats deficit to 7-5. Another instance of Alcides this season delivering in a plate appearance in which he's down 0-2-1-2. Escobar, by the way, a home run in this game too. The Nats two-run third, a leadoff homer to center field. Swing a fly ball, well hit straightaway center field. Racing back on this one, the center fielder Friedel, it's over his head and it is gone. It just clears the wall to the left of Den center field. A long home run for Alcides Escobar, his third of the year. For a 3 0 Nats lead, 410 projected feet from Alcides to dead center. If you ever need an example of why Great American Ballpark is known as a bandbox of a ballpark, Alcides Escobar going to dead center on a homer is an example of that. But you also got something like the Lane Thomas double in that three-run ninth inning. Two-out opposite field double to the right center field gap to kind of get things going with that rally. The game seemed done. The Reds fans were all kind of standing and clapping. I mean, the game seemed as over as it could be. For those of you who watched the game on Masson, Bob Carpenter was kind of like in wrap-up mode. I mean, he was certainly setting the table for the game to be over. The Nats extended the game by like an hour and a half with the way this game ended up going. But again, it just it's a rally that came out of nowhere. And I think that's what stands out as much as anything. Yeah, and you know, we laugh at it, but they do battle. And offensively, this just has not been the problem for them. They are coming through. And it's not just Soto. It's not just Bell. They're getting it from everybody. Maybe not everybody every single night, but they are getting it from everybody you know, on, on a semi-regular basis. And that has been an encouraging thing to see that, you know, that Thomas and Escobar is a one-two punch. I mean, who saw that a couple months ago? We said, okay, hey, you know, their new one-two hitters are going to be Lane Thomas and Alcides Escobar, and it's going to work well. It's gone really well for them. Obviously, Soto and Bell have been great. Cabert Ruiz is all of a sudden red hot, hitting over 300 for them, another three-hit night and his first homer as a national so there's a lot to like here. And, you know, I think when we do our postmortem on this team, the things we're going to look at and what they need to do between now and spring training of 2022 is going to have a lot more to do with the pitching staff than it is going to have to do with the lineup. Yeah, the offense was good again in this game. You know, we can quibble about, well, they don't advance the runner in the extra innings. But I mean, you score seven runs, nine hits, nine walks, not much more you really can do. You mentioned K. Bert Ruiz. He is really starting to bust out here. This has been a lot of fun to watch over the last few games. So Ruiz on Friday night as an Nats number six batter, three for five with a leadoff homer, an RBI single, and an infield single, and a really impressive infield single. So the home run comes in the top of the second, leadoff homer to right field for a 2 nothing Nats lead. That is his first major league homer as a national, 375 projected feet per stat cast. And the Nats two-run third, Ruiz a two-out RBI single to right field for a 4 nothing Nats lead despite having been down to the count at 1.12. And then in the top of the eighth, dare I say, Kibert Ruiz was Alcides Escobar-like. A two-out infield single on a 1-2 pitch, essentially throws his bat at the baseball, goes the opposite way. The ball just like takes a few hops and then dies toward third base, and Ruiz finds himself on first base with his third hit of the game. Now the set of the pitch, swinging a tapper up the third base side with nobody there. That'll be a base hit for Ruiz. I mean, he swung very late on the pitch with a a little short defensive swing as if he was trying to do that. Hit it up the third baseline with nobody there to defend. The thing with the reason it's been said many times, right, the great bat-to-ball skills, man, did you see it in that plate appearance? Yeah, and that's a thing. I mean, it's a real thing to be able to do that. He's only struck out four times in 65 plate appearances with the Nationals. 
I mean, that's a skill and that's a really valuable skill to have. Now, you don't want to be so much of a contact guy that you're just swinging at bad pitches and hitting weak ground balls or anything like that. But if you can convert them in the right spots into hits, as he's done and as we've seen Escobar do, that's a really valuable skill to have. And, you know, not to brag here, but I believe I called this one for him about a week or so ago when he was starting to get the hits to fall in. You could kind of see it coming. We said the contact was a good sign. It was only a matter of time before they started to fall for hits. And then I said, we're probably going to start to see the power here at some point too. And we saw it tonight in this game, and you hope that there's still a few more opportunities for him over the last week to hit for a little more power. And we were underwhelmed by him for a little while there. But I think we've gotten to a point now where we can really see what everybody saw in him all along and say there's a lot to like there. He's got a long way to go, obviously, but there's a lot to like there, and you can see why they were so high on him. Josh Bell, one for four, RBI double and a walk. The RBI double was great. Top of the first, he ripped a two-out ribby double to right field through the shift for a one nothing Nats lead. And I mentioned the Nats having nine walks on Friday night. Four of them come from one man. Guess who? Great effort from the 22-year-old superstar of the Washington Nationals, Juan Soto. Juan Soto, he goes 0 for 2 with four walks. So his batting average goes down, but his on-base percentage shoots up even more. He's now got the Major League leading OBP at 472. He's got his Major League leading walks total at 135, but the batting average uh, plummets to 324. So another example, by the way, of why batting average is flawed. The guy gets on base four times and the batting average goes down, but Soto gets on base four more times. And so the Zuckerman notation of Juan Soto adding to his achievement of getting on base four times game in, game out this year, that list now grows by one more. It's uh, the, what, fourth time in five games he's done it, three in a row that he's done it. And This is now the 25th time this season that he's reached base four times. And the list of players who've ever done it more than that is dwindling down to the final three. That'd be Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, and Barry Bond. So he's matched Ted Williams. And one more, if he gets to game 26, he'll have matched Gehrig. And the only two left ahead of him will be Mr. Ruth and Bonds. And if you aren't impressed by that, I'm sorry, I got nothing for you. That's as good as it gets. Okay, I don't want to hear anything else. I don't want to say, oh, you can't compare eras, can't compare him to Babe Ruth and Barry Bonds. No, if he gets to that point, he absolutely can be compared to Babe Ruth and Barry Bonds in this season, not for his career yet, but in this season. Absolutely. Yeah. And not that I'm an anti Babe Ruth guy because I'm not, but you actually could argue things are harder now for Juan Soto with the way pitchers pitch and the fact that, you know, uh, more than just white people now play baseball as compared to when Babe Ruth played. So, you know, there's that's a factor into things as well. You know, so productive was the Nats offense on Friday night. So lengthy was this game on Friday night. We got a Riley Adams appearance, huh? Hey, Come on. how about that? Who knew? Yeah. Who knew this guy was still on the team? Now, it took until the top of the 11th. We had an Alex Avila pinch hitting appearance in the top of the sixth inning, struck out for the final out, by the way. But Riley Adams, uh, I guess Davey remembered Riley's on the ball club. So we saw Riley as a pinch hitter. Comes up top of the 11th, runners on first and second, two outs, game tied at seven, draws a nice five-pitch walk, so we probably won't see him for another week and a half. Season will be over at that point, but uh, nice to see Riley. I I felt good seeing him. He had not appeared in any of the Nats' previous four games. We had seen more of those other young kids, Alex Avila and Jordy Mercer lately, so it was nice to see Riley Adams on Friday night. That made my night. I'm going to go out on a limb here and predict that he starts on Saturday after Kbert Ruiz caught 11 innings. I'm going to say that Riley gets the start on Saturday. Maybe I'll be wrong, but I hope I'm not. Well, you know he's starting one of these next two games. 
The only thing that maybe would prevent Ruiz from sitting is just he's so hot right now. You know how Davey loves to do that, right? Just ride the hot bat. But yeah, uh, it was a long night for K-Bear Ruiz, no doubt. Hey, Nats fans, are you looking to buy or sell a home or an investment property? If so, contact Jamie Coppersmith and the Coppersmith Group at McInerney Associates. A huge Nats fan right from the get-go in 2005, Jamie has repeatedly been recognized by Washingtonian Magazine as a top-producing real estate agent across the DMV. Referred to by a client as a Jedi Master of Real Estate, he will bring his expertise to bear on your behalf, helping you understand and navigate this challenging real estate market. Jamie is a five-tool agent who's as patient as Juan Soto at the plate. He has his own version of Moneyball, a strategic and statistical market-based analysis that balanced with a deep respect for your specific real estate needs, goals, and timeline. So, whether buying or selling, call Jamie Coppersmith today at 202-525-7471 or visit his website at thecoppersmithgroup.com. That's Coppersmith with a K. That chat is sponsored by Silver Branch Brewing Company, located in downtown Silver Spring, only a one-minute walk from the Silver Spring Metro Station. Silver Branch is a perfect jumping-off point to Metro down to the game. Park at the Cameron Street parking lot and meet up with friends for a beer and a bite to eat before Metroing down. You can also get Silver Branch beer at Nationals Park. Beyond the Gnome World, one of Silver Branch's four flagship beers is available at District Drafts at Section 223. Brewed to be light and refreshing, Beyond the Gnome World won a gold medal for the Saison beer style at the Great American Beer Festival last year. Beyond the Gnome World is deliciously dry and thirst-quenching and the perfect beer for hot summertime ball games. You may not be familiar with Saison, but take our word for it, baseball season is the perfect season for Saison, and buying from District Drafts to support your local breweries is a gnome run. Go to Section 223 and try Beyond the Gnome World the next time that you're at Nats Park, and make sure you stop by Silver Branch, located in Metro Plaza, just steps from the Silver Spring Metro. Silver Branch Brewing Company, when you come in, let them know that the Nats Chat Podcast sent you. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. 
Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Nationals lead the Reds 4-3 as rookie left-hander Alberto Baldonado will come on to pitch, replacing Paolo Espino. Baldonado is about to make his 11th appearance. He's 0-1 with an ERA of 6. Well, when it came to the Nats pitching, like I said, Paolo Espino was not secret weapon Paolo on Friday night. It's not like he was terrible, but, you know, he wasn't as good as we've seen him be. Three runs in five innings, gives up five hits, two homers, a double, two singles. Does issue no walks. That was good. But he only had two strikeouts. And I say it that way because Paolo's actually been a pretty effective strikeout pitcher recently. You know, he came into this game having been rather good in four of his previous five starts. Uh, Ends up throwing 86 pitches over the five innings in the game. Does have a hit. Uh, Paolo's actually had a few hits this season. Has a two-out single top of the second, despite having been down to the count at 1.02. Gray rocks and kicks. Payoff pitch. Swing and a grounder up the third base side. Slowly hit. Picked up by Suarez. And his throw will be too late. A swinging roller up the third base line for Espino. Ends up being a base hit. He gave the Nats a chance to win, but, you know, especially given that they were up 4 nothing in the third, you, you would have liked for a little better from your starting pitcher. Yeah, it really was just two mistakes, and they were both home runs. Max Schrock in the third inning, that was a crazy at bat. He threw him five straight fastballs. Schrock fouled them all off, and then he tried a sixth one, and he didn't miss that one, and he homered on it. And you wondered, boy, at that point, I know it's a 3-2 count. He hasn't been able to catch up to the fastball, but maybe try something different at that point. I mean, Palo's not a guy who's going to beat you by being predictable. He's going to beat you by not being predictable. And so that one I thought was a little bit of a question mark as far as pitch selection. And then gave up another one to Delino DeShields Jr. I covered his father, by the way, 20 years ago with the Orioles. It's crazy to think. So, you know, those are really only two mistakes. He didn't do anything else wrong in the game. And then I think Davey just didn't want to push it and have him face a lineup a third time, although the bullpen kind of took care of that anyways by having a really bad sixth inning. But I'll tell you what, Palo's final start's going to be big because the ERA went back up over four. He's at 401. So this last start, and you better believe and he knows it, this is a big start for him to try to finish with an ERA under four. Remember he told us he wanted to get to 100 strikeouts as well. He's going to need eight of them. That might be a little too much to ask for. And that start, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, it's going to be a course field. So big challenge for Paolo to finish this one strong. And um, it would be nice for him and for a lot of people who've supported him all year long if he could possibly put together a quality start there and end the season with an ERA under four. Yeah, Paolo is set to start at Coors Field. Patrick Corbin is set to start at Coors Field. That could be a very interesting final road series for the Nationals next week. But Juan Soto is scheduled to hit at Coors Field. And Soto's scheduled to hit at Coors Field. That's true. That's true. The Nats bullpen on Friday night. So Davey Martinez uses eight relievers in this game. I mean, you know, the Nats have had a lot of games this year where the team has used three relievers or more. You end up using eight in this game. And that's not just a function of 11 innings. You were already well on your way to using a bunch of these relievers as the game went on through the nine innings. Uh, the first four relievers combined to allow four runs over the sixth and seventh innings. Alberto Baldonado, Andres Machado, Patrick Murphy, and Sean Nolan, who I guess now is a, is a fixture in the bullpen to whatever degree you can be a fixture uh, in late September like this. But Baldonado in the Reds' three-run six faces three batters, gets just one out. Uh, Machado in the Reds' three-run six gives up a two-out, two-run homer to Eugenio Suarez to left center field on a one-two pitch. 
for a 6-4 Reds lead. Uh, Murphy and what ends up being a one-run Red 7th faces three batters, gets just one out, including giving up a six-pitch walk to a pinch-hitting ex-national and his Drupal Cabrera. You did see the major league debut of this guy, John Romero, who looked good. Perfect bottom of the eighth. Romero is the guy whose contract the Nats selected from AAA Rochester on Thursday, corresponding roster move to Yadiel Hernandez going on the paternity list. And John Romero is a guy who's actually had a very good season. 55 combined innings for AA Harrisburg, AAA Rochester, ERA at 262, strikeouts per nine of 11.3. So good for him. Major league debut looking sharp. We'll see what transpires beyond that. You then saw Kyle Finnegan toss a scoreless bottom of the ninth, but this was one of those innings in which Finnegan, I mean, you've said it, he's on fumes. He sure looked it in that inning. He gives up a single, gives up a hit by pitch. He throws 22 pitches, although he does strike out Nick Castellanos for the third out with runners on first and second, game tied at seven. So I thought that was a good ending to Finnegan's outing, but he still just does not look sharp, and he's, like you said, on fumes. Austin Voth gives a scoreless bottom of the 10th despite having the bases loaded with one out. That was interesting. And then Mason Thompson, bottom of the 11th, throws just two pitches. The second one results in an Aristides Aquino's walk-off RBI single that deflects off Luis Garcia. So again, eight relievers used in this game. Time of game, well over four hours. Welcome to Major League Baseball in 2021. Yeah, just imagine if the roster was all the way expanded to 40, how many guys we would have seen in this game. And if they didn't have the three-batter minimum. Look, we've been talking about it. The more relievers you have to use in a game, the more who could have things go wrong for them, as we've seen with this team. So is it surprising at all that of the eight, what, four of them gave up runs? No, it's not surprising at all that that would be the case. I did think Finnegan, even though he got into trouble, that was a big pitch for him to get out of that, the Castellano strikeout. I thought both, despite getting in trouble, that was a nice job by him to get out of it. I mean, those are both game on the line kind of situations. So good for them for getting out of it. Thompson, I'm not going to evaluate that too much. It was a hard hit ball. Garcia, because he has to kind of hold the runner at second, he's not in great position. He has to shuffle to get back into position and was just a split second late on. He almost made the play, didn't quite do it. So I'm not going to say too much about Thompson there. For those wondering why Tanner Rainey didn't appear in the game, he had already pitched the last two nights and three of the last four. So as good as he's been, they have to be careful there. They can't run him into the ground at the end. But look, you use eight relievers, you're just asking for trouble. There's no way around that. And, you know, it was all set up by the four guys that had to pitch the sixth and the seventh that put them behind the eight ball. It's why they get to extra innings. And I'm thinking to myself, even if they score a run here, what are the odds they're going to be able to hold them in the bottom of the inning? Who do they have left at this point that they can trust? And the answer is they don't have anybody they can trust. So that just, it felt, unfortunately, like an inevitable conclusion to that game. As great as the ninth inning rally was, when you're on the road, you can only win the game if you hold them from scoring. And with an automatic runner on second, that's a really tough task for this bullpen. Yeah, that was a well-struck ball on the Aristides Aquino walk-off single. Garcia's on a knee, you know, so that was not an easy play to make. I mean, you'd like to see him make it, but that's a tough spot that Luis Garcia was in there. I know that a lot of people don't like the extra innings rule, the automatic runner, et cetera, but this game is an example of why you do have it, just because, okay, who knows how long this thing would have gone. And I mean, did anyone have the appetite for this game to go longer? Like, I mean, this thing took freaking forever. Like, if we're just being honest about this, okay, we all love baseball, but this game took forever. So I don't know what's going to happen next year. You know, it seems like MLB, at least for a while, was leaning toward going back to the normal structure for extra innings games. But I don't know, man. I think 
more and more I've heard from people, they actually like it more than they thought. And while it's not baseball, the way uh, Abner Doubleday supposedly drew it up, although we know now that Abner Doubleday did not really invent the game of baseball, I think there's a lot to be said for trying to end these extra inning games as quickly as possible. Here's my compromise solution for you. What do you think about this? Let them play the 10th inning by normal rules. Give them one shot at winning the game in normal, nobody on base fashion. And then if it doesn't happen, go to the automatic runner in the 11th and beyond. How about that? Could do that. I wouldn't hate that. That's not the end of the world. I think it's interesting, though, you're coming around on this because you were vehemently (laughs) against this rule not long ago. Now you're trying to strike a compromise. By the end of the season, you'll be on board. I mean, I'm also talking about a DH next year, so I don't know what's happened to me. This season is what has happened to me, and it has not been often a fun season to watch. And uh, as these games go longer and longer, it does make me think maybe something needs to be done. But I will never like that, the automatic runner, but it's not helping the Nats. We can say that. They're not winning these games at all. And given the team they have in the bullpen they have, the last thing you really want to do is have these games be extended even longer. So perhaps there is a compromise somewhere in there. It's kind of like, you know, in hockey, you have your five-minute overtime period. So you give them one shot to kind of win it that way. Although I know it's three on three, so it is a different brand. And then you have the shootout. It's like you don't go straight to a shootout. You give them one more shot at winning in something that kind of resembles real hockey, and then you decide the game in quick fashion. So maybe that's the answer. 10th, maybe even the 11th in regular form, and then you go to the uh, automatic runner after that. Uh, One more item here. Carter Keboom, a late scratch from the Nats lineup due to left forearm soreness. Uh, Do we know anything more beyond that? He's going to have an MRI on Saturday, and uh, they will find out what comes from that. He was hit by a pitch. He was actually hit by two pitches on Monday in Miami. I don't remember. I didn't go back to watch the video yet, see which one it was, but obviously it was hurting him to some extent. Now he played most of the week prior to that point, but I guess today during batting practice, it was bothering him enough that he spoke up about it. And so they decided to shut him down and they'll send him for the MRI. And, you know, we've talked about, it's been a rough stretch here. I don't know if this has anything to do with it or not, but he hasn't looked as good of a hitter in the last week as he did for a couple of weeks prior to that. So Perhaps he was not at 100 percent, you know, physical capacity. And if he's not able to come back, if there is actually a problem here, they're down to Jordy Mercer and they don't really have anybody else to play the infield. So that's a little bit of a problem here for the season's final week. It would be fitting if the Nationals lack of depth, lack of positional versatility dooms them in the final week of this year like that. That would be a (laughs) final message from the baseball gods of Nationals. Get your act together when it comes to organizational depth. Well, how about. If they really have to uh, do something here at the end, how about giving Zim one final game at third base for old time's sake? I'd be up for it. I don't know that he's up for it. No, he is absolutely not up for it. Yeah. It's not going to happen. He is not going to go out like that. That is not the lasting image he wants anybody to have of him trying to make throws across the diamond. Sorry, everyone. Not happening. What about one last start for Alex Avila in the infield? Could we do that? Yeah, absolutely. He's played third base. Yeah, he came up. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Let's do that. I mean, since they're intent on getting him up as much as possible, you know, have him play, have him play some third base. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email us to NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. You can get yourself a secret weapon t-shirt. Uh, he's going to get that ERA under four. We believe in you, Paolo. Uh, you can get your secret weapon t-shirt by going to Nats Chat Podcast dot square dot site all nationals radio highlights odd match chatter courtesy of 1067 the fan from mark zuckerman i'm al galdi we'll talk to you next time on the Nats chat podcast we're going to leave you with a voice memo this is a tale from october 2019 a 2019 world series memory 
And it comes to us from one of our favorites, Jamie Coppersmith of Washington, D.C. Hi, Tim, Al, and Mark. This is Jamie Coppersmith with McInerney Associates. I am one of your sponsors and love this podcast and really, really enjoy it. And that's why I'm sponsoring it. But as a Nats fan, this thing is as good as it gets and uh, really, really enjoy it. So I'm originally a, a Yankee fan. I grew up in Easton, Pennsylvania, home of Larry Holmes, former heavyweight boxing champion. We are equidistant to Philadelphia and New York. My family's originally from the New York area. I grew up a huge Yankee fan, but all my friends were split. They were Yankee fans or Philly fans with a smattering of Mets fans. So we were kind of neither or. And this was in the time frame of Reggie Jackson, Thurman Munson, may he rest in peace, and uh, even all the way through Don Mattingly. But like Chris Chambliss, I still remember being 10 years old when he hit that home run to beat the Royals in the ALCS and <laughs> a gazillion fans, fans stormed the field. That was crazy. But I've been living in D.C. for well over 30 years, and I've always wanted my own team where I lived. So in 2005, when we finally got a team here, I went to a, a game against the Yankees, and I uh, kept switching my hats every half inning. And finally, by the fourth or fifth inning, I decided to keep my Nats hat on. And by the seventh inning, I kind of thought, wow, Yankee fans are really obnoxious. This is what it feels like when you're an Orioles fan. So anyway, I have been hook, line, and sinker and Nats fan since, uh, since early in 2005. And I will say that uh, it has not been easy being a Nats fan. Uh, I experienced depression, sports depression, for the first time when we lost that Cardinals game uh, in 2012, Game 5. Everybody remembers that. There was so much elation being at the game the night before when Worth hit that walk-off home run after fouling off a gazillion pitches. And then it all just changed. I was up in New York and watching the game with my wife and went from 6 nothing to, <laughs> we all remember, Pete Cosma and all those guys. And just walking around for a day, seeing if maybe this was just a cosmic joke. But it wasn't. So anyway, we've all experienced a lot. And I will say, as many have said, I think the greatest Nats moment was the wild card game against the Brewers two years ago. Uh, Soto's hit off Hater was just insane. I was there with my son, and it was, you know, beer flying everywhere. Everyone, I've never heard the stadium like that. It was amazing. It truly was amazing. And definitely a night to remember. So anyway, skip forward to all the amazing games that happened after that to Game 7. We were at my friend Jeet and Lisa's house. Uh, my wife and kids were there. My two teens, well, they weren't both teens at the time. Before the seventh inning started and we're losing, right, those of us who, who had been at their house the night before for Game 6 realized we were not sitting in the same place as we were for that win when they came from behind and won. So we had a lot more people there, but we moved ourselves into the same seats where we had been the night before, and everyone else filled in where they could. And lo and behold, it worked. Rendon homered. He was incredibly clutch during that whole romp to the World Series. And then Howie hit that beautiful homer to right off the foul pole on what was a fantastic pitch. What a piece of hitting. We went nuts. I think my kids, who at the time were 15 11, were kind of taken aback by the sight of 15-plus grown men and women jumping up and down, hugging each other in this living room, like they had just been rescued from some abyss. It was really 
quite a moment to savor. And finally, later that night after I calmed down uh, when we had won the World Series, I realized that the Nats had also given me a personal gift. October 30th was <clears throat> the night my mother, Nora, had passed away in 1996. So it was a long time ago, but as anyone who's lost a parent or someone close to you really knows that it sticks with you. It's always been a melancholy day for me, but the Nats added a permanent stamp of joy on that day. So now I can think of my mom and think of the Nats and their amazing run to the World Series. 5-0 and in elimination games. Truly an incredible season. Thanks for finishing the fight, guys. Though many of you are now in different cities, you have given all of us in D.C. and the DMV a great gift and one we will cherish for many years. Thanks. Here's the set of the pitch. Swing and a line drive, base hit, center field for Eaton. Scoring from third is Gomes. They hold up the runner, the ball is missed. Robles breaks for the plate. The throw will go into the shortstop, Correa. Two-run score of the play and a base hit up the middle for Adam Eaton. With Gomes scoring on the base hit, they stopped Robles at third, but the ball missed by Baristic, bobbled in center, and then Robles comes in to score. Over to third of the play is Trey Turner. Two runs home on the play on the hit by Eaton. It's now the Nationals six and the Astros two. Unbelievable.